Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991. From the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of direct video Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watch Barton Fink. And this is John, and thank you for joining us on 1991 Movie Rewind. Barton Fink is a playwright who recently found critical acclaim with his New York stage show. Almost immediately after, Hollywood comes calling. Reluctant at first, Barton decides to take up residence in a rundown L.A. hotel and get to work on his first assignment, but can't get past the first paragraph. Screenplay by Ethan Cohen and Joel Cohen, directed by Joel Cohen, and released on August 21st, 1991. Have you seen Barton Fink before? No, I have not. I don't know if I have. Okay. I know I've seen Naked Lunch, and I sort of like get those two confused, I guess, in a way, because they're both like dealing with writers in isolated spots who are dealing with some level of paranoia. Uh... Um, but I'm going to lean towards that I have not seen it. If I had, I didn't really remember much. I've seen this cover a million times. I just never thought to watch it. Yeah. I mean, even though it's like Coen Brothers too, like Coen Brothers has this prestige or this, um, not exactly cult following because they're big enough to sort of be beyond that, but you know, the... They're filmmakers where virtually everything that they watch, aside from, like, let's say, Lady Killers, is worth watching. <laughs> I mean, there there are others. <laughs> yeah, there are, there are others. But yeah, Lady Killers. I just remember seeing that in the theater and hating it. Um, but some of their movies are really hard to describe. So, like, when I was trying to come up with how to do this summary, it was pretty difficult. As you, Anyone who's seen the movie knows I was being extremely vague and basic with what I just said in the opening Mm -hmm. paragraph and part of that is like i don't want to go beyond like the first act when writing a summary even though in these podcasts we spoil the whole movie yeah you know that's just part of the natural thing but my inclination is like treat it as if i'm writing like a box back and you don't want to give away the whole thing yeah um yeah i knew nothing about this movie i just knew the name and it was coen brothers So with that in mind, like, what did you think of the whole thing? Because I I went into it with a certain expectation, I guess. And it didn't meet that. Oh. So coming in as someone without any sort of preconceived notions, what did you think? I liked it more than I thought I would. Okay. Because you seemed bored to me when I was, like, anytime I was glancing over at you, you, like, you seemed like you were completely checked out. (laughs) i think when we were watching this i was like i was very like uh i was looking because when we're watching these movies i'm googling like is this a real i was like is this a real story is this Mm. based on like real life is this this is this that like i was looking at like i had like 20 different tabs open okay so it wasn't that you were checked out you were immersed in the lore on your yeah I, i was trying to find out 
is this a real story? <laughs> okay. But, okay. <laughs> yeah, I got the impression you were bored to tears oh, and waiting hmm. for it to be over. I was more on the side of, like, I kind of want more to happen. And, because I think, um, again, I was probably confusing it somewhat with Naked Lunch. And I was assuming that things were going to get crazier and wackier a lot earlier than they did. Mm. Because it really only kind of ramps up to that level in the last, what, like 15 minutes or so of yeah. the movie. But they allude to things throughout the whole thing. Like there's the eerie vibe of the hotel. You know, there's, you know, the wallpaper peeling. There's the mosquito that's like tormenting him in the room. You know, the con consistent like wave crashing and like the picture of the girl. It seems like he's going through some sort of like a mental breakdown. Yeah. And I thought that that would manifest itself visually or in the plot at some point. And it just but it didn't doesn't. Really, yeah. Except for maybe the last 15 minutes because it's really hard to know what's real and what's not in that yeah. portion. And even when you get to the, the death in this, which I, you know, I know will kind of spoil, but I don't want to like dive too deep into that yet. But like, <clears throat> even when you get to the death, I wasn't 100% sure is this real or not? Or is this where the crazy what's what's in his mind and what isn't mm -hmm. happening? Um, so I wasn't even sure if that person was really dead at the time. And I think also partly what's moving my expectations a bit is like the taglines for the movie. Because, you know, when I before we even start these things up, I'm looking up like the box office information. I'm looking up taglines. I'm looking up awards and some of the cast and crew information. And here are the taglines for this movie, right? We got, uh, between heaven and hell, there's always Hollywood. That's probably the most accurate one of these. Mm -hmm. uh, another one is, what's in his head? <laughs> okay. And then the third one is, there's only one thing stranger than what's going on inside his head. What's going on outside? So both, like, those taglines lead me to believe, oh, yeah, we're going to go into, like, the psychosis and the paranoia and, like, craziness. Mm, of things yeah. like we're gonna see batshit crazy stuff happening we're gonna see wackiness and it doesn't happen it's just this dude staring at a picture and then like staring at the words on his typewriter or or lack thereof and then just being bothered by it mm -hmm. <laughs> so i don't know that's sort of where my mind went is you know I was looking for more and maybe that was just unrealistic so from my perspective not a lot happens but you have a lot of interactions, right? So Barton Fink is kind of thrown into this whirlwind, uh, played by John Turturro. Um, and with, like, eraser head type hair. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he's kind of thrown into this whirlwind where, like, he has, like, you're greeted at the very beginning of this movie. It's New York City, 1941. And the war plays a very minor, like, mm, role it's mostly like setting the stage of what era of hollywood you're looking at yeah and some of the people in this were real people or represented real people um from what i could tell um but he's off on the side of his stage play it's just ending and it's like he's brought out for a standing ovation and then like immediately his agent's like la wants to hire you for a thousand dollars a week to be a studio picture writer you know you can always do your art on your own time take the money take this opportunity when you can right 
and he has like a couple little meetings in some fancy high flute restaurant and like the whole time he's basically poo-pooing the whole thing acting like he's you know um the tortured artist yeah type you know it's like oh well all this stuff doesn't appeal to me i can't listen to what the critics say i'm writing for the everyman and all this kind of stuff but he still you know he still at some point goes to la obviously because that's <laughs> where the movie takes you and so very quickly he moves to the hotel where things really um where all the important characters come into play well after chat chat's not really important in terms of the story but uh the hotel is important because that yeah. hotel was very creepy very eerie yeah uh, i forget what they call it in this movie it's the earl hotel. the earl hotel the ho- hotel earl or earl hotel yeah. yeah so it's you know very big wide open you never see anybody aside from three people in that hotel right you see chet it's like the door chet person. yeah who's the bell hop slash front um, desk everything everything and shoe shiner yeah, he does, he, he's kind of like, does everything. Yeah, he's kind like, of like the, the movie worker. Four Rooms, if you've seen that. Like, sure. <laughs> like, he just does everything. I've heard that this was sort of inspired by, like, The Shining, in, in a sense, yeah, as well. Yeah, like, yeah um, with the shot with the long hallways and stuff. Yeah. Um, so you have Chet, played by Steve Buscemi, by the way, um, who... In 1991, was also seen on Nickelodeon in that first you know that as uh ellen's dad in the pete and pete shorts <laughs> yeah that was in 91 as well so that's how i knew him first Steve Buscemi. <laughs> yeah okay. it was from the pete and pete shorts so that was also happening around the same time as barton fink but yeah like you have this big old uh oh the other two people you see in the hotel are um the elevator person the elevator operator i forget his name yeah <laughs> um and then you have uh john goodman's character charlie meadows which we'll get into later um but those are the only three people you see so like when he walks through this very long open lobby there's nobody it's a completely empty hotel it looks run down there's plants everywhere which makes it look nice but it's like this mm-hmm. big open thing and it just looks like it, it looks like um it's halfway to the level of rundown that we saw in Double Impact. <laughs> if we want to <laughs> reference another movie we've watched, um, and, and the hallway is like basically the same thing too. It's just like it looks kind of dirty and nasty. And then obviously once you get in the ho- the room, it's very um, very shoddy. The wallpaper is peeling because it's so incredibly hot in that room, or at least that's the reason that it's given. Is that it's just so hot that the wallpaper is peeling off and just everything looks so gross. Um, but it adds a lot of character. It's where you spend half the movie. <laughs> so the, like yeah. the, the luster wears off and you can only see wallpaper peel so many times before it gets repetitive and kind of boring to me. So anyway, he goes from that into the studio head's office. Uh, he's, he's meeting with uh, Jack Lipnick of Capital Pictures. Um, and everything Fink says is amazing. Um, and he's like, you know, what you would expect from a studio head. Yeah. Yeah, He absolutely loves him. Wants, you know, everything you say is perfect. I'm all, you know, 
whatever you want to do is whatever I think is great. Yeah. Uh, just whatever. And he's talking he's just like, like a, all for him. Talking a million words a minute. He's like this mix of like hyper and like angry and, you know, going off on random tangents. All this kind of stuff that you kind of would expect to see from like a studio head uh, character from the 1940s. Um, and he's given the assignment to write this wrestler picture starring Wally Beery. And he needs to have his first draft by the end of the week. And then off he goes. Uh, Wally Beery, I believe, is a real person. Walter Beery. A real wrestler? Real actor. Oh, okay. I didn't go too deep into it, but I believe he is a real actor that they're referencing there. Um, and then um, John Mahoney's character, W.P. Mayhew, I believe was based off of William Faulkner yeah yeah, yeah. I, I mean yeah the, these are the things that I was trying to look up and that was the lore you were looking up yeah, yeah there was a lot of lore I, I mean so these two writers Barton Fink is loosely based off of a writer called Clifford Odets. He was okay. a playwright in the 30s and pretty much what, same trajectory yeah same trajectory trajectory as what Barton Fink is. He was a playwright and then novelist. And he I well, I didn't want to say idolized, but favorite yeah, inspirational yeah. writers was William Faulkner, which yeah, what we see in the movie, like how Barton Fink is very moved by W.P. Mayhew mm -hmm. as a novelist. And then I also learned that Faulkner was the one that was supposedly had to write a book about a wrestler as well. So these are just kind of loosely based off of this, <laughs> off okay. of their real lives, I guess. Yeah, and I think that probably um, helps the people who really have a knowledge of history of old Hollywood appreciate yeah. But yeah, so Barton's tasked with going to write, and he is immediately met with constant distractions, whether it's the, the wallpaper or the mosquito or most uh, noticeable at this moment is the noise coming from next door. And so he complains by, a, you know, through the phone to Chet, uh, but Chet tattles on him. And so uh, the next door neighbor comes over, knocks on the door, basically barges in. Um, apologizing for the noise, and we mm. meet John Goodman's character, the insurance salesman, Charlie Meadows. Immediately, I could tell that John Goodman was going to be the best part of the movie. I don't know. Oh, yeah, I mean, I think, <laughs> yeah, John Goodman is usually the best part of most of these Coen brother movies that he's in. That's probably true. I think... He always plays this character, like, he... the eccentric character. And always in a different way. Yeah. Is what's, I don't know. I think John Goodman is probably one of the... Like, best actors. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, like, it, he's obviously appreciated and oh, beloved, yeah, yeah. but he's not, like, celebrated critically mm. in the way that I think he probably should be. Oh, now, yeah. Now, uh, granted, we're not going to see um, that type of performance in King Ralph when we get to that in 1991. But <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, yeah, I was thinking like, oh, we're gonna have to watch him and King Ralph. I remember yeah. King Ralph. Yeah. 
So we'll get to that at some point. But I mean, like, you know, he... Okay, so just talking about awards really quickly, just as sort of like a sidebar. He won an Emmy, but not for Roseanne. He won an Emmy for a guest spot on Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Mm. <laughs> like, so late in his Yeah, so life. much later. I feel like that was sort of like a, we're sorry you didn't win for any of the ten times you were nominated previously to, for this mm-hmm. award. Like, seven of those were for Roseanne. We're sorry you didn't get any of those. Here you go. Have this guest spot one. Mm, yeah. Um, but, I mean, you know, in 1991, he wasn't that same level of actor, but this allowed him to show a little bit more range than what he was showing in Roseanne. Up to this point, he had done stuff like bit parts in, like, Chud and Revenge of the Nerds, right? Um, he had done Raising Arizona with the Coen Brothers, which is probably his meatiest role in terms of, you know, acting chops. And then he did Arachnophobia, which is probably his biggest, like, box office thing yeah. before this. And King Ralph, of course, was bigger <laughs> box office-wise. Um, but, yeah, honestly, like, he's... Since then, I'll talk about his past 1991 stuff once we get to King Ralph. And he's just, like, so incredibly, like, charming and slick, and, you know, he can do whatever he needs to do in any given moment here. And in this moment, he's trying to... One, kind of placate Barton by saying, I'm sorry I caused this mess, while still looking obviously annoyed that that complaint was levied against him. And then two, trying to be like try to make a friend. Yeah, yeah, be charming, try to make a friend. And three, in, in sort of like a subtext, try to like weasel in and try to make an insurance sale. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Like he has that little aspect too, is like trying to bring everything back to the concept of insurance so that Barton can maybe like get into that. But Barton's off in his own head and he's ranting and raving about how important he is and ignoring Charlie's comments like nonstop. Like several times Charlie in that conversation says, well, I could tell you some stories. And Barton's like, I bet you you could, but let me tell you about how I need to like focus in on yeah. how the every man works while he has an everyman sitting on his bed right there mm-hmm. that he's completely ignoring. So it's a really interesting scene. He needs to scene. write his movie about this wrestler and yeah. he doesn't, doesn't want to focus on this guy's stories. Yes, he can't be he can't be distracted by anybody who might actually legitimately help him. Right. with these things. He has to rant and rave about how important he is. Um and you kind of just realize in this moment and also in other spots and other conversations that basically just everyone in this movie is bullshitting everyone else, right? They're just talking in such a way that they want to increase their own self-worth. And that's their whole purpose in the movie. You know, they're they're just bullshitting and making themselves, you know, give them the, the inflated ego. Um, And that's why they're there. That's why they exist. So after the interaction with Charlie, we get introduced to Shal- Ben Geisler. Tony yeah, t- Tony Shalhoub. Tony Shalhoub's character, okay. Ben Geisler. Uh, Tony Shalhoub of Monk, uh, Marvelous is Maisel, and of course at this time Wings, uh, which started in 1991. Um, or at least he started on that sitcom in 1991. That's how I do him. He plays basically the producer of the movie. Uh, and so Barton goes to him for advice saying, I'm having trouble getting started. I don't know what to do. And, you know, Geisler is basically just like a lower rung version of the studio head, but just with more attitude and contempt 
Yeah, he's just like, I don't know, get get it done, figure it out, and, you know, maybe consult with someone who can help you. Yeah, it's like this whole restaurant's full of writers. Throw find, a rock, find, find one. Yeah, find one and yeah. ask them how to write this movie yeah. for you. <laughs> or <laughs> don't help bother you. me with these problems. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's how he gets in touch with uh, W.P. Mayhew, Mayhew. Um, who he meets in the bathroom of... Is it of that same restaurant? Yes. We think. And Mayhew's throwing up in the stall. Come, they arrange to meet together uh, in the afternoon. Um, but when he arrives, Mayhew is ranting and like yelling about like honey and you know like I need my honey. Where's my honey? Yeah. And, and like he's obviously throwing like things, out having of it a fit. And, yep. You don't see it. You just hear him. Yeah, yelling and crying off screen. And uh, Audrey opens the door, which is played by Judy Davis, making her uh, second week in a row appearance on this podcast mm-hmm. after impromptu. Uh, plays Audrey Taylor, who is basically his assistant, um, slash secretary, slash lover. lover. Yeah. Um, and Audrey lets Spartan know what's up with him, basically. Just like saying when he's not writing, he's. He's drinking. drinking all day. Yeah. Which is, and it seems like he's not writing much. Right. Because we find out that she's like his ghostwriter. Yeah, later on and we find out that. And she pretty much wrote most of his books. Yep, exactly. Which is, I don't think, what happened in real life with Faulkner. I don't think Faulkner had this relationship with anyone. Yeah, maybe not. But I, mean, I, I would I'm imagine not... that there probably are some famous people that did have that type of situation that oh, we'll yeah, never yeah. know about. I just don't I I just don't think this happened with Faulkner. Yeah. And then I'm gonna correct myself already. <laughs> okay. Like Faulkner he worked on a wrestling film called Flesh, which was starred Wallace Beery, the ah, actor. Okay. So yeah, it's they're loosely taking these stories yeah. from They're alluding to things that yeah. people of probably older persuasions or just who are more in tune with like the 1940s cinema scene will know than us um but it's also kind of interesting that judy davis basically plays a writer in two weeks in a row on this podcast too yeah Yeah. but i liked her in this movie more than impromptu i mean yeah her character is more likable there's like i don't know i just didn't i didn't find her character in impromptu to be too redeemable i don't know she didn't there's no like characteristics to latch on to in impromptu mm-hmm. here she's you know just like a normal human being who's like trying to uh, she's kind of stuck in this yeah situation. trying to navigate this she's, weird because I, mean, I think what she says is that he gets jealous i mean this is later on mm-hmm. and you know, she has to wait until he goes to sleep or pass out for her to just leave the apartment. Because if she leaves without him, he's like, where the hell are you? Type of thing. Yeah. They're just, I don't know. It seems like she's just his companion for every single thing. Yeah, she's kind of trapped. Yeah. And partly because he's also her conduit for 
the creativity, right? So, like, mm. he comes up with, like, maybe, like, the outlines and ideas is what she says. Who knows mm-hmm. how much of that is true? And then she basically creates everything the story, from there. Yeah. Like, she does the story or the script. So they kind of need each other in that professional level as well. Um, obviously, he needs her more than she needs him. But, you know, she still feels like she's... Oh, it's the, I don't know. It, it's a complex relationship that doesn't really get to um, pan out in front of our eyes too much, but you can still get the glimpse of what's going on. But yeah, like all the time that this is happening, um, there are several scenes that are in the hotel room where something happens, the wallpaper peels, or he's just staring at the thing. And then... Um, yeah, he's staring at the picture. It's um, it's like a picture of a woman noises. at the beach from behind. Yeah. And he hears the waves crashing against the rock. But he's hearing noises through the walls. Yes. But he's also imagining the waves crashing. And you see the visuals of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, this is where... Um, it's This is where I was thinking, like, when he's in this hotel... I started thinking of like, oh, is this like some sort of purgatory? Is this like right. heaven? Well, I mean, not heaven, but like hell or purgatory. And he's just stuck there. And, you know, all of this is in his head. Like even the peeling of the wallpaper. Yeah. And, like, and is all of this true? I, I think that's valid. And I, I think that's sort of what I was trying to think too. It's like at this point, we're pretty much at the halfway mark in the movie so are we going to start to see him go crazy and i think purgatory is probably exactly what coen brothers were looking for you know especially with that tagline between heaven and hell there's always hollywood yeah right so you know that's obviously something that um i think you're correctly latching on to um but we don't get the answer soon enough in my opinion so Mm -hmm. like there's like little tiny hints that keep on floating in. So we got the mosquito, you got the, the wallpaper, and at this point we also have the shoes that are too big. Remember like, mm-hmm. so every day there are a lot, so even though we only see three other people besides Barton in this hotel, there are tons of other people because every day you see a line of shoes in the doorway because Chet says that, you know, they offer a shoe shine service. And so he's returning all the shoes that he shined along and, and placing them in, on yeah, and the doors in front of the doors, in front of the doors. Yeah. and his shoes get switched with Charlie's which you learn after he puts on his shoes and sees that they're too big and it kind of makes me you know oh is this where he's going to start going crazy like is this like a visual thing that, is it I mean like I was thinking that is it a metaphor I for if, he's in too deep yeah I don't know I was thinking that I wonder if John Goodman or Charlie Meadows did that on purpose, like took his shoes on purpose just to have another interaction with him. That could be too. Yeah. Or was it really just a simple, cause they did have similar shoes, but who knows? I don't know. Yeah. It could but, be a simple switch up or yeah. Or Charlie could have used that as an excuse. Absolutely. Cause I mean, what, is happening near the end of the movie i was like oh is he using this guy for something right yeah like to latch on to him to become friends with him to then take advantage of it in some way yes yes um that's that's a good theory i like that theory 
in my mind when I was watching the movie, though, I was like, oh, the shoes are too big. Okay, it's finally happening. We're going to see some crazy shit. And then it just doesn't happen. And I was like, okay. I'm, I was I'm, thinking that that was done on purpose. It could be. I was thinking it was like a mental breakdown thing. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Um, that happens. And then shortly after that, Audrey is called in to help, right? Because, you know... Even though... I mean, however, I think like two months go by and he still has written like a paragraph. Uh, yeah, exactly. And then the producer, Tony Shalhoub, or Ben Geisler, is like, "How? Like, how's it going? Yeah, it's like, hey, you're supposed to present something to Lipnick tomorrow. Right. And I told him and it was great. There? Yeah, so can you give me, you know, outlines or whatever you have right now? And that's yeah. when he, yeah, he starts freaking out. Because he absolutely has to have this meeting where he talks about something mm -hmm. tomorrow morning. And he has nothing except for this paragraph that he keeps right. rewriting and over he, and over again. And it's been a couple months. Because yeah. I think they say it's been eight or nine weeks or something like that. Yeah. And he's like, you're just getting started? Um, so he enlists Audrey to come and help because he needs anything, something. And W.P. Mayhew is worthless. Right, um, or just doesn't really. Well, yeah, he. Well, they meet. They meet at like an outdoor setting, like in a picnic or something. Yeah. And to talk about, you know, this movie and W. P. Mayhew is too drunk to even say anything or whatever. He just walks off and mm -hmm. starts singing a song and like almost gets hit by a car and yada yada and. You know, Audrey has to follow him just to bring him back. He, like, pushes her down, and then she Slaps comes her, back. Yeah. The, she comes back, but then that's when she tells Barton, you know, I'm the ghost writer. Yeah. And then that's when he asks her to come over Actually, no, for he, help. I, I have it written down that, he, he's, that she admitted that at the, at the hotel. Oh, I thought she admitted it after they met up outside and that... I think she alluded okay. to it, but at the same... Because I have... From, <laughs> I have that he gets incensed at Audrey writing Bill's books and scripts. So maybe she did say that at the park, but then he I, just sort of goes off on She just the comes out and says, hey... It's like, yeah, everyone needs help, and I did this, and I did this, and I, I did this. Yeah, part. and and when they, after he, it, yeah, Mayhew it was at the hotel walks, where he's like, did you write, like, did he even write his own books? And and she's like, oh, yeah, no, that's, that's me. The outline. I think that was the second time he went to the hotel. He goes to the hotel twice. The first time to meet him after they meet in the restaurant, I guess, when, that's when he's screaming about honey. And she's like, you know, he, when he's not writing, yeah. he's drinking. And she pretty much says, hey, I'm the secretary. Slams, right. Like, no, just closes the door. She doesn't say anything like, like I'm his writer. No, no, I, I'm, I'm saying like when when he gets incensed at Audrey writing the books and the script, that was in his hotel room. Because immediately oh, after, yeah. like immediately after he gets like, you know, goes through this rant. He just switches to a straight face. Well, we don't have much time. Let's get to work. Remember that? Like, he's like, and he doesn't even write his own books? Like, you wrote the books, too? Like, he doesn't even write anything? What a fraud. And then he looks at her and he's like, okay, well, help me out here. We don't have much time. 
You know, it's like, it, it's that, it's him not realizing that he's being hypocritical, mm-hmm. that he's doing the exact same thing as his idol that he's now upset with. And so that took place in the hotel room I think room for he, sure. so like when she says that, you know, he does all these outlines and I pretty much do the rest, that's yeah. when he... He's like, so you are actually the... Because he idolizes... Yeah, he's not mad at her. He's mad at... Yeah. Mayhew But now he idolizes that. her. Yeah, kind of. In a of. sense. Yeah, I think Because she so. is the brains behind the, the books that are being yeah. written by Mayhew. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he brought Audrey over to his room and she had to sneak out just yeah. to get like some sort of inspiration or help. Um, because that's, you know, what the secretary was doing for Mayhew. And then he had that revelation or, or learned that, yeah, Mayhew basically never wrote any of his stuff. It was all her and he got all crazy and he's like, well, we don't have much time. Let's get my script done. Let's get my, but that done. doesn't even happen because then after they talk about that, they sleep together. Right. Yeah. The actual they, outline work does not actually, it happen. doesn't even happen at all. <laughs> I was just saying that that's when that interaction happened in the movie is at the hotel um so yeah they go into this as they're uh getting into their sexual encounter the camera moves off from them in the bed Mm -hmm. and it pans over to the bathroom door which is open uh pushes in and up and down into the sink drain yeah and you hear the moaning and kind of like screaming too this is where i was also thinking we can go back because when Barton Fink initially made the complaint about the noises through the walls, he was hearing like sexual noises. Yeah. And from the person like on the other side of him, not Charlie's side, but yeah, the not other Char- side. Yeah. And I, that's what I was starting to think. Is this, um, him hearing himself? Like the, in the person future? in the future, yes. Mm. This is where okay, he heard the sexual moaning in the beginning of the movie, or when he first moved into the hotel, and then you know he has sex with her. She's making that same moaning sounds as he hears through the walls. That's mm. when I started thinking: is that him hearing himself from the past? I like that theory. I never. I have a hard time usually thinking about movies in that deep type of way. This is where my mind was going. Well, that's, I'm glad one of our minds is going there. <laughs> you were like, I'm, you're the one who was getting yeah. bored, and I was like thinking hardcore deep into this. Well, that's good. I mean, that, that kind of makes me want to like revisit certain scenes of this movie, and like when we see the shoes in the hallway, how similar are they? Right, because if if they're the, room, the same color, yeah, they're the same brown. color, but like maybe it's more than that because if the room next to him was him in a different time period, and that would probably mean that that endless hallway is really just his room repeating, him and Charlie yeah, repeating over and over again, and we them, can see a pattern of shoes Yeah, it's just them with their shoes. Maybe it's their same shoes. It's the daily shoes in a row down yeah. this hallway. and it's just Because that timeline. hallway is a really long hallway, kind of like The Shining, where it just extends. Yeah, it seems to- endless. Yeah, to infinity. So if this is like some weird long hallway that extends into infinity, maybe Uh it's just like one room across another room and it's their room extending into 
infinity. Yeah, it could be. What I got out of that scene was just that that just means his career is like going down the drain, like literally. Oh, right? okay. You know, because like the camera is like literally going, going down, down the drain. Going down the drain. I, well, <laughs> so like I got I, that from it. I didn't think that. I was okay. thinking, oh, is this like some weird warp from time, <laughs> like time and space <laughs> or something? Well, that's why we have these conversations, right? This is this is why the podcast is good, right? and, at least in my opinion. It, it's you know yeah. we get these different perspectives and we're looking at different things. But I mean, after that happens, well, I mean, we find out that she's killed. Yeah, he wakes up. He wakes up because of the mosquito again, and it lands on her skin. And she's not even flinching or anything, so no. he kind of smacks the mosquito and you know kills it yeah and it ble- there's blood on this is the another thing or there's blood on his hand mm-hmm. it, be, tur- it turns into a big old splotch Splot- of blood even though it's mosquitoes when you smack a mosquito you're not gonna get like a whole handful of blood right exactly that's where i and then that's where my mind went wandered again <laughs> But he turns her up because he did like a really big smack and mm-hmm. she didn't even flinch or anything. And yeah. then he tries to wake her up and just pulls her over and she's like gutted. Yeah, he's horrified by the amount of blood. And then he looks back and he sees that blood's like draining from underneath her as well. Yeah. And he's it like, oh my God, what's cool going on? And yeah, he turns her over and she's like been gutted, killed and opened somehow. And he, yeah, he freaks out. And, and so this is where and, I'm like, okay, this is where the fantasy stuff is happening because mm-hmm. when you smack a mosquito, yeah, you're right. Like, you know, you shouldn't have like a big, huge um, pool of blood pool in of your blood hand. in your hand from just a mosquito. So yeah, this now is, we're starting to see the crazy manifest. Yeah, and so I was, is she really dead or not? Yeah, but um, then I was thinking, did he kill her? Did he kill her? Right. And he didn't know about it because he's starting to go crazy. Yeah. So this is where the movie's like starting to actually pick up and get interesting again. <laughs> and it took a while because this is like you know two thirds in so you have to really kind of slog through a lot of setup to get to this point in my opinion and like some of the stuff is just repeated too many times but now we're into the, the interesting stuff so he enlists Charlie to help because he's the only friend the only practically only yeah, other the only person. person he knows like the only person he's talked to really besides his you know his producer or like whoever on the yep. movie exactly and charlie's like well i have to leave for new york but like he, he takes he he he's like okay i'm gonna take care of this um but i have to leave for new york mm-hmm. go about your normal routine do your normal business and i'll be back in a few days hold on to this box until i get back mm-hmm. <laughs> um and so Barton goes and meets Lipnick at his house. And he's supposed to have this treatment, which didn't happen because they decided to have sex instead. They didn't work. They just mm-hmm. had sex and fell asleep. And two, she was then murdered. And so no writing was done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he's sitting there. Um, he thinks he's going to get his ass chewed out but yeah nearly I mean, catatonic and he just makes up a bullshit excuse of like well as a writer i don't want to reveal yeah anything until it's done i have thoughts in my head i know it it's all planned out i just have to put on paper but i don't want to ruin anything by saying it mm-hmm. and lip nick eats it up yeah but the lackey is like trying to say no this is like, this is this is clearly bullshit. a bullshit mm-hmm. move <laughs> and, uh, 
But Lipnick is like, that. you're a true artist or yeah, whatever. exactly. Yeah, the lackey Lou Breeze, played by John Polito, who uh, also is a frequent Coen Brothers collaborator, he gets fired for uh, saying, look, you're the bot, you know, you're the studio's property, you gotta tell us what's in your head. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, Lipnick's like, no, never mind. So he gets well, away I mean, with it. He, I mean, but he goes back to the hotel and he writes like a madman and yeah. he finishes this script. And at the end, Lou is uh, still employed. So he was temporarily fired. He right. back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he finishes the script. Um, but is that before or after the detectives come into play? During, I think. Well, because the detectives read the final script, so yeah, and he's like, he must have met the detectives beforehand. He goes back. He writes like a madman. The detectives show up, yeah, once because they show up. They show a up at the hotel. Times. Yeah, they show up at the hotel because they know about the death. They know it happened like in the vicinity, or is it just that they're looking for Charlie? They're and looking they know for Charlie. Charlie no, they because. Uh, he goes down to the lobby. The detectives are down there. He thinks he's going to get arrested right. because of the death of Audrey. Yeah. I mean, Charlie said he was going to take care of it. He just took her body, but you yeah, don't know what know happened. How. Yeah, we don't know. But, I mean, Barton Fink's bed is still bloody. Mm-hmm. And, um, like, he didn't get rid of that, or I don't know. <laughs> Can't call Chet for that, I guess. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, he goes down to the lobby, meets with these detectives. He thinks he's going to get arrested immediately, but the detectives are like, hey, do you know this guy? And it's a picture of Charlie Meadows, but he is known as Carl Madman Munt, Munt. who is a serial killer. And his, like, his modus operandi, I guess, is beheading his victims, mostly women. Yeah. And they said that Audrey was found with a body, but not a head. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, he's asked him a few questions. He gives them relatively honest answers. He says, yeah, he told me that he was an insurance salesman. He told me that he had to go out of town or whatever. Like, he was, you know, being relatively honest. But, mm-hmm. you know, didn't tell him... Didn't tell them the full thing, I guess. Didn't tell them all, all yeah, the information that he knew. Him. Yeah, he didn't tell him. He's not going to tell him about what happened with Audrey, because then yeah. he'll get in trouble. Yeah, exactly. And then he goes about his day. He reads the the script and whatever else, and like finishes it up. And yeah. I don't know. They they come back. He goes out. Barton. He, yeah, he goes out well, to like, he's present done, his script, and he's like no, really he's happy that he's the, written the Yeah, whole, he's the end. done with the script, and that's when he actually goes out, out to go dancing. Because yes. he's like, I am done, so I'm going to party or whatever. Oh, you know what? Before that even happens, though, uh, probably one of my favorite scenes of the movie happens. This is before he meets the detectives, or maybe on the way to, to see them. Um, Barton's in the elevator with Pete. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because this is, like, where he's really starting to go crazy, right? Right. And, and so, like, he's looking at the Bible in his room, and he sees, like, his, you know, the one paragraph mm-hmm. that he's written in the book of Genesis in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So you can see that his mind's, like, actually starting to go. And so after he leaves his room, he goes and meets up with, you know, he goes down to the lobby, and he's in the uh, elevator with Pete, and he's like, do you read the Bible, Pete? 
Pete's like, the Holy Bible? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Anyway, I've heard about it. <laughs> no, he was like, I don't know, maybe. He was he's like, like, I think so. I think so. And but, like, you would like, know. I've, I've heard about the Holy Bible. Yeah, like, he's like, I've heard of it. I think so. <laughs> it's <laughs> such a good interaction. Right. Uh, yeah, that was on his way down to meet the and that's detectives. When he, yeah, that's when he got to the detectives. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then he, so, yeah, and then he goes and parties and he's dancing and at the USO and like again inflated ego he's like I've just created the, you know the right. most important working man right. script ever made <laughs> like, yeah he's dancing with a woman and then mm-hmm. some sailor comes in cuts in or he wants, wants to, to dance with this woman and Barton Fink's like no man it's like, no, <laughs> like don't you I'm know who I am artist. like my mind it's my mind yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you should be like because, you know, the guy is like, hey, I'm a sailor. I'm going to be shipped off to war, basically, yeah. tomorrow. Can I dance with this lady? And he's like, no. Don't you know that I'm a writer and right. I'm God, basically? Yeah. So he's having like, a I grand old time. I create things. I am like a God. Yeah. So then, yeah. He's having a grand old time until all of the, uh, the different military men uh, beat him up for that interaction. Yeah, he gets, well, he just gets punched in the face once, and then he kind of just falls to the ground, and then the whole room gets into a fight. Yeah, they swarm into him. Yeah. And, I don't know, he comes back. He comes back, and the detectives are in his room, reading yeah. his, uh, script. His script, yeah. Uh, kind of shitting on it. He's like, eh, this is garbage, and the one's like, oh, I kind of like it. So, like, he has this mind, you know mindset of like this is the greatest piece of cinema ever mm-hmm. created mm-hmm. and the detectives are like immediate critics like eh, it was okay mm-hmm. yeah but they're there because they found that wp mayhew has also been found dead yeah and they see the blood stain on, on his the bed, bed now. and then so then they uh they're like okay are you working with this guy are you working with charlie meadows yeah yeah, what do you and know then about they're Mont? asking him where did he go, where is he, what did he do, blah blah blah, all these things, and Barton doesn't know. Right. And they handcuff him to his bed. Well. Yeah, they handcuff him to the bed because Charlie around appears. The same time, Charlie comes back. But this but is when they don't notice that first. They don't notice that because the room slash whole hotel gets really really hot. And starts to go up in flames. Yeah, the wallpaper is peeling in the hallways, which had not happened before. There's, you know, the goop from the glue coming everywhere, mm-hmm. and you start to see smoke and flames at the end of the hall. Like coming the down is. the hallway with just flames coming through the walls. Yeah. And then Charlie, Charlie appears. slash Munt appears. And then this is, I was also thinking, like, this is a heaven and hell thing. Like, is Charlie the devil? Like, <laughs> I started thinking of all of these things. Yeah, I don't know if I would consider him to be the devil or just I a was, demon. Like, or as some sort of, of like, yeah, demonic creature. And then I An was agent thinking, of hell, right? like, is Charlie really real? Is Charlie, like, I started getting, you know, like, fight club type mentality like is charlie barton is barton charlie 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, are they one and the same? Yeah, you got to think about those types of things in here. And you don't get good, clear answers most. Not of. really. Um, but yeah, Charlie, you know, the detectives, you know, say, freeze, put the case down because he's holding a briefcase. And he does, but then he opens it up and takes out a shotgun and immediately starts shooting the detectives and uh, kills them while the flames rage along the, the hallway beside him. Um, and then he frees Barton, explains why he did what he did. Because uh, basically uh, the whole thing was that this was somewhat of a, a revenge against Barton for complaining about yeah. the noise levels yeah. in that first interaction. So he's gonna... And he's like, that's why I'm picking on you, that's why you're involved in all this stuff, because I couldn't make a little bit of noise. Um, and it's, you know, it's a very interesting situation. Meanwhile, obviously the hallways are still burning, but the rooms are fine. They're obviously very hot, but they're not burning up because this isn't, you know... The fire doesn't act like a real fire. You know, it acts like a fake fire, you know, because it's like concentrated just in the hallways, just in those little areas. It doesn't spread to the entire hotel like a regular flame would. Um, and so, yeah, Charlie slash Munt is explaining everything to Barton. They have their final confrontation. Uh, Charlie frees Barton from the handcuffs uh, and walks out while the hall is still burning. Barton also... Just basically he leaves with the box. I think the next scene is him meeting with Lipnick again, where Lipnick tears his script apart, saying it's the most uh, yeah, basic, it, it's yeah, terrible yeah. garbage and you're a terrible person. We fired the producer for lying to us. We're not going to fire you. You are stuck under contract, but we are not going to publish a damn word for you. You are not free to do your own thing. Mm-hmm. You have to work for us for all time. Um, but your words will not see the light of day. That's your punishment. Yeah, this is more like heaven and hell type. I mean, and then it also just reading other like random facts about this movie. It's kind of like, I think the Coen brothers were just also trying to say that this is what writer's block is about. Yeah, they, I did, I did see that they wrote this movie to sort of, um, combat their own writer's block mm-hmm. which and i can kind of see kind of you know their take on how hollywood is with i mean basically how writers are being treated or <laughs> like maybe that's how they were treated you yeah. know they came up with a script and then they get shit upon and they think you know in their minds, they're like, this is really great script, but then they take it to a producer or whoever. And... It's like, we just wanted a wrestling picture. We want high art. Right. Yeah. We just want some simple thing. Yeah, we don't want commentary on the plot. Yeah, of don't man. give me. <laughs> yeah. And they get shit on, and then you just you feel like shit. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this is a very meta movie yeah. in that way, right? Like, it's. You know, it's their own writer's block sort of manifesting itself. Um, also, you know, Munt slash Goodman, who was a wrestler back in, like, his high school days or whatever, he is basically the wrestler that Barton's writing about, mm-hmm. whether yeah, he realizes yeah, yeah. it or not. Like, you know, so, like, he is... This is the wrestler picture. 
you know there's a lot of parallels yeah. of of what you know is, is being written so it has that inception is the keyword that most people would you know relate to now it has that type of layer of like constructs within constructs so yeah everything kind of just like falls and collapses into itself in some form or fashion because yeah the the criticism of the movie at the end is, you know, it's about this movie that we're watching, right? Like, we don't want to watch a person who is wrestling with their soul. Mm-hmm. We want, we just wanted a simple wrestling picture. We didn't want wrestling with the soul. We wanted actual physical wrestling. And obviously, here I am saying, I kind of wanted more physical wrestling in the beginning. Yeah. Like, at the end, I got what I wanted. But I didn't want to see him wrestling with his soul for that long in such a repetitive manner. So I'm being the Lipnick in this situation. Going back to when Charlie Meadows is appears in that hallway, he's screaming at the two oh, detectives, yeah. look upon me, I will show you the life of the mind. Yeah. So it's more of the mind mm. again. Yeah. So you, that, that line made you think, well, maybe this is Barton manifesting yeah. something yeah or, or it's projecting like, something yeah it's that's what i was trying to look up i mean yeah. is there some sort of connection between the two are they the same sure was barton fink actually the serial killer <laughs> did he go but i don't know <laughs> yeah i don't know there's a lot of things that don't really fully get resolved in this um for obvious reasons but i, guess, right? I mean because, I mean, Barton just takes that box and his script and leaves this hotel. But does that hotel go down in flames? Because Charlie Meadows goes back into his room while this hotel is still up in flames. I, I don't think so. Because, like, again, like, the rooms were not burning. And, but that and when... entire hallway is going up in flames. Well, no, but the flames were, like, dying down by the time Barton was leaving. Like, you could see, like, the charred remains, and it wasn't, like, a raging fire anymore. It was, like, smoldering. Like, it just happened, and then... It was concentrated, and it's done now. And so, like, it was already starting to go out while he was walking away. But, I mean, I still just want to know how... that, Like, how... <laughs> I wish we would have come back to the hotel to see if it reset. Yeah. Or it would have been repaired Like, is in some this... Way. Was the hotel hallway even up in flames? Right. And we don't get to know that. Okay. I mean, obviously there's no physical, scientific reason for it to go up in flames. Right. So, that's the only clue that we have going for us, is that the flames followed Charlie as he ran down the hall with the shotgun. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they formed alongside of him. So that's the only clue that we got. Um, All right, well then, I yeah. don't know. And then there's just like a lot. And then the last shot, I think, uh, or the last him. scene is when he's at the beach because he's, you know, he's under contract forever. Um, yep. Nothing's gonna happen, so he goes to the beach. He goes to that rock that he's been dreaming about, and he sees a woman walking by, and um, she becomes basically the picture that was on the wall. Yeah. She poses like him and she, she talks says, to him. She's like, oh, it's bit. a nice day. It's like, oh. What's in the box? Yeah, this what's is in where, that box? Where I, I started thinking, okay, we're going back to like more Brad Pitt movies. I, uh-huh. I started thinking about Seven. Of course. And I was like, is this pre-Seven? Is someone's is head in it? It's definitely pre-Seven. 
I know it's pre seven, but and, and I think did seven take this from Barton Fink? Yeah, I wonder. I that's another thing. I was trying to look all these things oh, up. You're trying I'm to look like, it up with Fincher. I was like, is Barton Fink the same? Like, that's what that that's what I was doing throughout this entire movie. Like, is this connected with this? I mean, the the obvious but shape really and size of the much box answers. says yeah. head. Yeah. Right. The, um, at one point, Barton rattles it around, and he's you know hears the thuds. Yeah, what, uh, it's, it's someone's head. It's almost definitely like someone's it makes head. you think someone's. But is it? But you never get. It to can't see be Audrey's it. head because Charlie. It could be. But Charlie gives him the box while while he's taking Audrey's body away, isn't it? Uh, after so okay, Charlie took the body. He told uh, Barton to go in the bathroom. Yeah, Barton, Barton passes out. Yeah, he passes out, and then and in that time, yeah, he could have easily beheaded her, carrying came, the body out after he dropped off the package. Because yeah, I know there was Bart, enough time where yeah, it could the, definitely be yeah. her head. Because I know they they show him pass out, and he's kind of glazed over, and you don't know for how long. It could he could have been sitting there in that room for days. Yeah. Or hours. It doesn't. You don't know how much time lapsed. So all I'm saying is it's definitely it feasible been, to be the head because okay, you don't it could see be Audrey's head. You don't see the head. You just see him carrying out the body, and that was like a separate. It was separate from when he carried the body out from the room. It was him carrying the body from Charlie. Charlie was carrying it from his room past the hallway. Anyway, that's how the movie ends. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is uh. You know, I just the, the, so the picture being questions. recreated. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's, I'm sure, a lot of the point, right? It's like, yeah. you don't get to have the resolution. Um, and you don't always need resolution either. I think that's fine. Especially in a movie that's meant to mess with your mind. Mm-hmm. And, and, like, make you question whether or not things are real. Like, even something like Total Recall, right? Where you could easily make an obvious decision to say yeah everything wrapped up completely nicely and neatly and yes there was some weird you know mind fucks along the way but this does have a definitive resolution but you could also think Mm -hmm. of it and say "Mm, no there's actually some unanswered questions if you want to create them for yourself Mm -hmm. so like any sort of like mind bending type of thing is going to have that so I just wish it got into that territory a lot sooner or that it gave us more stuff to think about besides the mosquito and the wallpaper mm. for so long. Mm. That was my main gripe. It's like, it like two thirds of the movie was just wallpaper, mosquito, wallpaper, mosquito. Well, I think it's Give just me like more a slow to think about. burn to what was going to happen. Yes. Like a slow buildup. It was a very slow buildup. I just wish it had more of a progression that was my major complaint with it so let's quickly go through a little bit of the cast and crew that we hadn't talked about so far we talked about most of the cast already um but joel and ethan cohen we got to talk about them because this is their only 1991 movie of course um they had four oscar wins they basically they have the same four oscar wins um three for no country for old men best picture best director best writer or screenplay um, and then also the screenplay for Fargo got them their first Oscar. Uh, this movie was the first one to be nominated for uh, Academy Awards of theirs. Okay. Um, so these are part of their 11 nominations that they have besides those four wins. Uh, they had Oscar nominations for costume design, 
uh, and best art direction slash set decoration. Both of those went to Bugsy instead. And then the other Oscar nomination for this movie was for supporting actor Michael Lerner, who played Lipnick. Okay. And that was weird to see. Because <laughs> he has like three scenes in yeah, the entire he's in movie. Yeah, movie for ten minutes. And sure, he's a... He's fine. Decent enough character, but he's also but why exactly not, like, what you John would expect. Goodman. Yeah, why not John Goodman? That's what I'm saying. Like John Goodman is like a great actor who just does not get the critical recognition. Now John Goodman did get a Golden Globe nomination. Okay. Uh, Michael Lerner did like not. I even like the two detective guys more. I mean, they, they, <laughs> sure. like they're. Uh... The way they yeah interacted with each other and with Barton was fun. Yeah, yeah, very true. Richard Portnow and Christopher Murney were those two detectives. Um, but yeah, Michael Lerner was not nominated for Golden Globe. John Goodman was. Both of them lost to Jack Palance, though, in terms of the supporting actor category. We also got, uh, we have to talk about Carter Burwell and Roger Deakins because they're involved in virtually every Coen Brothers movie. This is Roger Deakins, the cinematographer's first collaboration with the Coen brothers and he's done i think every single movie of theirs since Mm -hmm. um he's also done uh he's won two oscars he's known as like one of the greatest cinematographers of modern history right um he's won two oscars most recently for 1917 uh, and then also he won for blade runner 2049 but he's been nominated 13 other times twice in one year uh, where um he was nominated for both uh, no Country for Old Men, as well as The Assassination of Jesse James. Um, he also did the cinematography for the 1991 movie Homicide, directed by David Mamet. Uh, Carter Burwell, like I said, he's done the score for virtually every single Coen Brothers movie, except for Inside Lewin Davis, which I liked more than you did. Yeah. Um, he has two Oscar nominations, one for three billboards in... Um, he also did the score for Doc Hollywood in 1991. Huh. Which I didn't catch on. Ebbing, Missouri. Ebbing, Missouri. Thank you. Yeah, I'm stupid. I should have wrote down the full title. I'm like, yeah, I'll remember it. Nope. <laughs> no. <laughs> and then you make me try to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, he also did the score for the 1991 movie Scorchers, which I don't really know, but we'll learn at some point. Uh, the other award that I have not mentioned yet, there's a couple things. Uh... At the Cannes Film Festival, where this premiered a couple months before the August 21st wide release that we are using for these purposes, um, it won the trifecta of Best Actor for John Turturro, Best Director for uh, Joel Cohen, who at that time was not sharing credit with Ethan Cohen, probably because of Directors Guild regulation reasons, or maybe they didn't actually share the directing duties at that time, but now they usually typically have both of their names attached to the directing side. Uh, and it also won the Palme d'Or. It won the Best Film Award at Cannes. And then lastly, 1992 MTV Movie Awards. Oh, okay. Um, it's one of those montage things that doesn't well, is have... Was it like a burning hallway? It, supposedly, according to IMDb, it was there was a clip shown in the quotes montage. I don't know what quote it would be. Perhaps... Uh, the I'll show you the life of the mind, mm-hmm. perhaps, um, and then also it was shown as one of the uh, non-awarded, you know, like 
interstitial things. Uh, best inanimate objects. Okay. Which inanimate object? I don't know. Was it the box? Was it the typewriter? Was it the mosquito? What, well, it's animate. Was it the wallpaper? Yeah, was it the wallpaper? <laughs> was it Pete? <laughs> the elevator operator? No. Mm-hmm. Um, was it it was probably It was probably the box, I guess. I don't know. So um, anyway, at some point, hopefully we'll find a copy of the MTV Movie Awards and we can like watch this I stuff and like take I notes. I had that. I, I uh, yeah. If anybody out there happens to have a copy of it taped off a of TV, please, you know, consider reaching out to us and letting us know. So those are the awards. That's the cast and crew. Um, on to true crime slash pop culture. I was going to... So also looking up in this mad stupor of information. Mm-hmm. I So this hotel reminded me so much of the Cecil Hotel which I asked you do you know the story of the Cecil Hotel you said no just and that, by name I know this I, I've heard the name it just blows it. my mind that you don't so I, know, but, I mean you're you're so much more like interested in the true crime stuff I know and it's like, just like the people that I know and I'm friends with when you say when you mention the word Cecil Hotel you're like oh okay I know that it's I like, was you know, going like, to talk hey, about... Do you know, like, this baseball team? You're like, oh, yeah, I've heard I know. of them. I'm like, I oh, know. but you don't know their starting picture? Right, yeah. I know. It's just, we don't have the different same... Different hobbies. <laughs> we have different interests. <laughs> so I looked up, you know, was this base off the Cecil Hotel? Because, you know, the Cecil Hotel is in L.A. And it's known to be, you know, the, quote, murder hotel. And I looked up, you know, did the Coen brothers base this off of the Cecil Hotel? I found, like, a list of random facts, and it is not. They took this hotel from a scary hotel that they stayed at while filming Blood Simple in Texas. Mm. They didn't give a name of the hotel. So I am not gonna talk about. Um, not gonna talk about. The, no, uh, I, if it was based off the Cecil Hotel, then I would I would have gone into like the history. But there that there's a lot that that's like an extra hour, honestly, of talking about the history and deaths of the Cecil Hotel. Yeah. And then, if you want to hear about the Cecil Hotel, there are honestly documentaries on Netflix about it. And there are a million podcasts about the Cecil Hotel. Like, I cannot do it justice. So, if there is another movie in the year 1991 that bases anything off of the Cecil Hotel, maybe I will go off into it. There could be. There's a lot of horror stuff. Yeah. Especially in the direct-to-video realm that we haven't uh, even touched yet um, that could very well have some inspiration there. So I'm going to move on to TV. Uh, I did look up... (laughs) I looked up the music, but this is... Summer of 91 was Brian Adams. (laughs) So I... There is no top songs. Nothing new. It's the same top song for forever. I looked up some TV listings, and I found some new TV shows that 
I'm going to ask if you have seen or heard of these. Well, first we should say that we, or I want to say that we were going to watch an Unsolved Mysteries, but it was like the last summer week before the new season started, basically. So we didn't want to, we could have watched an August 28th episode, but we did not want to steal the thunder from our Shakes the Clown episode, right. which is going to come out <laughs> there, at some there's point. There's a, yeah, there's an <laughs> August 28th release. So I was like, and I think we've, because I knew we were going to talk a lot about this movie. I was like, let's not watch Unsolved Mysteries right now. Yeah. Um, so on ABC, these are all repeats because it's summertime. So it was a repeat of Dinosaurs. The Wonder Years, Doogie Hauser. There is a show called Davis Rules. Do you know this show or have you heard of it? I have heard of it. Oh gosh. I don't do you want to know? Do you want to guess or do you want me to tell you? Is it a stand up comedian starring in it with the last name of Davis? You're. Wait, wait, wait. Like... Is, is that the one that's like based off of Dave Barry's life? No. I oh. mean, you got comedian right but it's his last name is not davis in real no. life oh well then i don't know okay davis rules is a series star starring randy quaid okay as dwight davis he is a widowed elementary school principal who is raising his three sons with the help of his wacky father gunny davis who is played by jonathan winters do you know who that is yeah Okay. Yeah, from uh, Mork and Mindy. Yeah, he did a lot of... I looked him up. He did a lot of voice acting for a lot of, like... Like, he did Papa Smurf and the Smurfs. He was also, like, a stand-up comedian. Like, like the Bob Newhart type of era. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, like, he was... He played, like... um, Oh, gosh, it's been so long since I've seen Mork and Mindy. But he played, like, the little kid in Mork and Mindy, even though he was, like, 20 years older than Robin Williams. Yeah, it had Randy Quaid, Jonathan Winters, and it had, um, the, his wife was played by Bonnie Hunt. Oh, interesting. And one of the teachers that he works with is Deborah Jo Rupp. She plays Ms. Higgins. She's, you know, from the 70s show. Yeah, the mom in that and 70s show. Patricia Clarkson was in that as like a neighbor, I think. Her name is Cosmo Yergin. Huh. And another neighbor is played by Vonnie Rabisi, a.k.a. Giovanni Rabisi. He was known as Vonnie Rabisi in So he, like, tried to, like, switch up his, yeah. his vibe? Because, I mean, like, he, he started in, like, My Two Dads, right, basically? Yeah, he was kind of, like, the love but he, interest. But was he known as the... Vonnie Rabisi in his My Two Dads? days i thought it was like the full-on giovanni giovanni i don't know if he was trying to like be hip and cool maybe because i know he was in like blossom too for like an episode that's an interesting cast that's yeah i'm kind of surprised i mean obviously it must not have been that funny but it was only it only lasts for two seasons yeah oh two seasons is more than i would have thought so yeah i'm over one yeah you're over one the after that was Anything But Love, which we talked about before. Mm-hmm. That was the TV show with Jamie Lee Curtis and Richard Lewis. Mm-hmm. The one that I still got confused with Jay Thomas's, Jay Thomas Annie Potts show. Uh, uh-huh. And after that was another show called Married People. Do you know That sounds familiar, but I don't show. know. I don't think I would have watched it. But the title I definitely do recognize. I have not. I've never heard of this. Who's in it? 
no one that I know. Really? It's just, it's a series following three couples in different stages of their relationships who live in the same building in New York City. So it's about a newlywed couple. One is played, the husband is played by someone by the name of Chris Young. I tried to look up anything that, I mean, he's in a lot of random stuff. He was in Warlock in the movie PCU. I was like, who? Hmm. He was like in Friends. He's he's in like one. He's in like random. Bunch of small roles. Small yeah. roles, but I still can't put a face to a name. So they were all on like, it was like a first, second, third floor. Sure, and then like apartment. Different age groups. So each yeah. yeah each age group. So they were the third floor attendants. On the second floor were the Myers, and they were, you know, like a. A lawyer and a writer and they were about to have a kid so it's just you know like an older couple a couple uh-huh. that's newly married a couple that's been married they're about to have a kid and it's about their lives yeah that only lasted one season but they won this show won an emmy for outstanding technical direction camera and video Maybe they did some interesting stuff to like between, move the, between floors the floors and yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's but it made me think. I don't know if you know of this video. Michelle Gondry, he did like a massive attack video. It's through a like it's. Is it on that DVD? It's of on his the music DVD. Videos? That I have, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sure I've seen it. Yeah, I mean I know it because I used to watch that DVD a lot, and I like that video and song but it's just it's a british apartment building and it's just the cameras moving up and down the floors and you see what people are doing in each apartment okay so that's what i'm wondering that's what this was yeah maybe it might have had something like that at least in transitions i don't know well we have we found some uh we got a stack of tv guides from 1991 so we can maybe like see if we can find some like promotional images for some of these shows that we can yeah, jog our memory it. at some mm-hmm. point. We didn't have a TV guide reference for this particular week, but we did raid uh, my parents and grabbed a stack of them for future episodes. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned. All right, so on to rankings and ratings. Where would you put Barton Fink on your one to five star scale? I am gonna give this movie a four. Is this your second four or third four? <laughs> this is my third. Third four. All right. My so it's first, in your top my ten first for sure. third four. Your first third four. <laughs> she makes fun of me for not remembering how many ratings she has. <laughs> Even though I monitor the ratings page on the website, I still don't remember anything. Um, yeah, my zero to four star scale, I'm actually going to say it's a three. Again, I think like... Whew. I think talking through it with you helped me quite a bit. Like, honestly, when I, when we stopped watching the movie, I was thinking, like, I don't know if I liked this movie. Oh. Like, I don't know if I did or not. Like, I, I needed some time to kind of resonate, like, let it resonate and marinate in my head because, you know, was it that I was expecting the wrong thing? Was it that just it doesn't hold up the way I think it should? Or that, you know... Or is it just like one of those middle-of-the-road killer movies that people loved at the time, but maybe just doesn't, you know, whatever. Um, but no, I, I yeah, I'm going to say three out of four. Um, well, what were you going to... 
I don't know. I probably would have given it like a two and a half or so. Oh. So it's not that much different, but like. So I convinced you. <laughs> you convinced me to raise it up another like, like a half. half a star. Yeah, at least a half. Alright. Um, again, I do think the opening like hour is too slow to go beyond that. Uh, plus, a lot of the characters just aren't that memorable to me, other than John Goodman. I mean, they're decent enough, they're just not that memorable. Um, but every movie's worth watching once, would you watch it again? I would, because I still have questions, and then I just... Maybe this is just kind of that type of movie that just doesn't have answers, like, you know, a David Lynch movie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I Where think... I would just watch over and over to try to find meaning and different symbolism and stuff like that. Right, yeah, I think if I were to watch it, like, a, a, again, with, like, a commentary or, like, some sort of a film historian's perspective, that would help a lot. But it's definitely that type of movie where you get to the end and you realize, oh, there might have been clues to all this stuff earlier on that I missed. Mm-hmm. And to going back to watching, watching yeah. it uh, to try to find those clues... Um, like more time travel type of stuff that you're talking about there. Like how many other instances did we not catch that mm-hmm. might have existed? So, If you want to watch Barton Fink, as of this recording in June 2021, it's only available on digital rental, VHS, or DVD. Uh, but as always, check your local listings because that could change. Um, as for our podcast, you can listen to us on all of the major podcasting platforms. Please rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. You can email us at 1991movierewind at gmail.com. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd. Just search 1991movierewind or go to 1991movierewind.com for the full list of 800 plus movies along with show notes and more. Next week... We'll be watching Only Yesterday, uh, which is available on HBO Max and DVD. No digital rental or VHS for that one. We'll see you then. Thanks. Thanks.